What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the My Mike and I podcast. And real quick, episode 147. Thank you guys for tuning in. I encourage you guys to like, subscribe, and follow the podcast on the homepage, whatever platform you're listening on. And be sure to check out true100radio.com, spelled T-R-U, number 100radio.com for all your podcasting needs in Orange County. We got podcasts like You're Doing Fine Miha, Stupid Geniuses, The Morning Routine, and a few other ones that I'm a part of as well. So I'm going to shamelessly plug those real quick. We got a front row seat with Jacob Fanshawe. We got a sip of crime with my brother Mac. And we got Double Down Sports with Alec Romero. You can check out all four of my podcasts on that platform as well as any other platform too. So be sure to go check that out at TRU, the number 100radio.com. Also, shout out to the homie Vince Correa for designing the My Mike and I logo that you're seeing in your screen. And shout out to the homie Generic Sports for producing the instrumental playing in the background. You can check out more of his work on SoundCloud, on Instagram, Bandcamp, and Twitter. Be sure to support your local producers out there. Now, before we get into this week's guest, I did want to thank you, a listener, again, one more time for tuning in. And I hope you continue to battle through whatever obstacle you may be facing. Look, I know usually I put this out on a Friday. I'm, you know, been a little bit busier. Some uh, roles at jobs at mine have been expanded in the coming weeks. Hey, look, we're having a high school football season. For those of you who don't know, high school football coach, but I'm not going to ramble on about that experience. My workload has increased a little bit in the coming weeks, so I'm going to play around with my schedule a little bit, see how I can fit them on Mike and I podcast and when I can get it up. It may not be up Thursday nights slash Friday mornings, but maybe it's up Friday nights slash Saturday mornings or something among that nature. So I'll keep you posted. I'll be sure to keep you guys updated on that situation as I start my coaching career at high school level. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Tune into the front row seat. We talk a lot about that. However... Yes, thank you guys for tuning in. This is episode 147, and let's go ahead and get into this week's guest. This week's guest is the second time having him on the show, but the first time as the mayor of the city of Santa Ana. Shout out to Mayor Vicente Sarmiento. We talk about what he's done since taking office, some of the roles that he's been tasked with, also some of his reaction and emotions as he saw the national election play out for the presidential election, as well as some of the stuff uh, relating to storming of the Capitol back on January 6th, and a whole lot of local stuff too. So, really excited to share this one with you guys. So without further ado, hope you enjoy the conversation with the mayor and myself. So... Where I want to start this interview is because the last time we spoke, it was October, and this was before election season. It was uh, before election Tuesday. But I wanted to get your thoughts and your feelings during election night as you were watching the polls, not only at the national level, but between your own race, too. And what were some of the thoughts and feelings going through your head? Yeah, you know, um, it seems like that uh, the last time we met, Noah, in October seems like years ago, not months ago, man. So, um yeah, lots happened since then. Uh, but you know, that night, what, what was odd is I know I got to, we had a little gathering um, with just some of the volunteers and, you know, some family because things were still very, very, you know, dangerous as they continue to be, you know. Um, but when I got there, I heard this because I got there a little late, I heard the scream, right. Um, and everybody started clapping. So I thought, all right, 
Biden's up, right? You know, so, uh, you know, and, and, and so, you know, we started getting excited. But when, as I arrived, I realized that the first um, numbers had come out, the first cycle had come out in the local races, and we were up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we weren't up significantly, but we were up. And, um, and yeah, it just caught me by surprise, because I had been thinking a lot about the national race, because I just wanted to get myself distracted from our own local race. And I figured we had done everything we could. So, you know, when I arrived, they're like, no, man, you know, this, these are your numbers and look. And, and so we just wanted to be competitive, you know, uh, in the first cycle, but uh, for us to be up and, you know, uh, you know, be, be strong, at least at that point, every cycle thereafter, we just kept getting stronger and stronger. And, you know, um, I, I got to say, you know, the results were, the results were obviously, you know, very welcome, but they, uh, I just didn't expect the, the gap, mm-hmm. you know, between my, between our election and our candidacy versus the other, the other, uh, you know, three strong candidates. Mm-hmm. Now we saw it on the national level that there was a, a delay because of the mail-in voting and just some of the different obstacles that they had to go through voting through a year in pandemic. When was the announcement officially made that you had won the election? You know, you can tell in local elections, you can tell pretty much um, that night unless it's super tight. Mm-hmm. But because we had, you know, a significant gap by probably about 10 o'clock or uh, 11 o'clock we had you know we knew that it was going to be very difficult for anybody to overtake us so we knew that night um because there was just so many ballots that could be counted um and we had built up such a strong lead and here's what happened so here you know for you and your um you know listeners primarily because i know you reach a you know a broad audience but i know a lot of young people you know Mm -hmm. listen to your podcast and follow you so the day before um the election Uh, on Monday, you know how we were doing mail-in ballots? So this was the first time mail-in ballots had really been, you know, something that was encouraged across the board, because you could always do your absentee ballots, I mean, you know, for years back. Mm -hmm. But this time, because of the pandemic, it was really encouraged people, obviously, um, were were all sent ballots. 50% of the votes had already been cast by the day before. So we knew that whatever we're going to see the night of the election were those early votes. And of those early votes, those, um, you know, those 50%, the majority of them were from 18 to 35. Wow. So to me, I felt like, all right, you know, this is who I'm speaking to, right? And, to it, you know, that's why I, I, you know, I attribute a lot of the success that we had to messaging, to the support of like those, you know, young voters that maybe it's their first time voting, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and so I felt, really good because I felt like I didn't want to let that, I didn't want to let them down, right? Because I knew that the worst thing you want is for somebody to be discouraged first time they're voting. And they're like, oh man, you know, my vote didn't even matter, you know? Mm-hmm. So this time, not only did it matter, I mean, to get me in office, but they got a lot of very young progressive um, council members in. So it was a, it was a good night all the way, uh, you know, all the way around. Yeah, it was, we talked about in our previous interview how this was your first time using social media to campaign, and it seemed like that paid benefit because, like you said, a lot of people that age group, 18 through 35, they're all scrolling through different social media platforms, and that's where you got to reach them, you know? Yeah, it was, you know, it was amazing how we had done, like, a complete shift, and, and I know I had worked with some campaign managers, people who I had worked with, or, you know, for years, and they were like, hey, man, bad idea. You better do more mail, do the traditional stuff. And we took a risk this time because we thought we had seen the trends, you know, in the, in the last few elections where 
people just aren't paying attention to what they get in the mail anymore. I mean, it's just literally you get it and it takes you about maybe 10 seconds to, you know, throw it in the trash. Whereas on social media, you know, you're getting your, you're getting your information on your device, on your phone, as you're just, you know, scrolling. And, um, and so we, we were seeing good responses and things that we were putting up, you know, I guess, you know, those that know the space, well, you can totally, um, uh, try to understand how many people actually view it, how many people open it, and how many people engage. So once you start seeing those metrics in that much detail and the data, you realize this is really effective, right? Mm -hmm. It's really, it talks to people who are going to be those new voters, those voters that um, are just sort of non-traditional. Mm -hmm. Now, taking it back to a national level, obviously, I think it was either that Saturday or maybe the following Saturday when it, the announcement was officially announced that Biden had won the election, but what were some of your emotions kind of as you were sitting there waiting between Biden, Trump, and at the national level for the election? Yeah, you know, as, as happy as I was about the local elections and the results and how decisive we had won and how a lot of good progressive candidates had won in Santana, thinking about, oh man, we're going to deal with like, you know, the Trump administration and it's going to be difficult. They're going to continue suing us for being a sanctuary city. They're going to continue cutting our funding, making life really difficult for our people. Um, it was, it would have been still a really, you know, um, tremendous victory, but it would have been one that was almost measured and offset by what would have happened nationally. So, you know, um, I was, you know, I was just excited seeing things change and evolve over time. And then, um, you know, seeing the state of Georgia, because I have a good friend out there, you know, um, her name's Stacey Abrams, who really helped get, you know, young people and people who, who had never voted inspired enough to vote. And for them to win, once I saw that that was leaning towards Biden and, and the numbers were looking strong, I felt like, you know, this is really a blessing because not only can we complement what we're doing here locally, but if we have an administration that's even halfway as, you know, as decent as the, as the one that we had before, uh, we'll go far. But I'm excited, man, because, you know, he he knows um, California and, and his vice president, Kamala mm -hmm. Harris, you know, she's from here. Right. So she right. knows our state. She knows our needs. And, um, you know, the fact that the demographics here throughout the state are really diverse. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, really, really uh, difficult conditions here and especially in Southern California. But, you know, and also getting um, Alex Padilla to mm -hmm. backfill her seat when she, you know, got elected. And he's a good guy. He's a good dude. He's, um, you know, I'm not sure if you know, but he's carrying a bill um, mm -hmm. to accelerate and make uh, undocumented workers permanent residents, those who were working as essential workers, right? Mm. So people who worked in manufacturing, picking, you know, whatever it was that was essential during the pandemic, his bill is to accelerate their, um, you know, uh, their legalization, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm you know, I'm uh, supporting that bill and um, just excited to have a dude like that in there who, you know, understands like what a lot of people go through. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. It seems like it hits closer to home, especially here in Santa Ana with the big immigrant population. Yeah, because I think he was, you know, he was on the LA City Council before he became, um, you know, the Secretary of State. And, and, you know, he had served in state government. So he represented San Fernando Valley, which is, you know, the demographics are very similar to Santana. You know, a lot of immigrants, a lot of Latinos, you know, people of color. Um, but you know, I think that, you know, having a person like him there, having a person like Vice President Harris there, um, look, it gives me hope. 
you know, because I figure those people, you know, they know they know our our challenges here, and, and it's it's good to be able to just you know call them up, you know, and, and their friends and and their people that can help. Mm-hmm. So. So fast forwarding to December 6th, you get sworn into office. How does your everyday life change now that you've been sworn into the mayor? Yeah, man, it changed way before then. So, you know, <laughs> okay. that, 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 was, that was almost, you know, uh, more ceremonial. But, you know, the transition had begun before then, and we were already understanding what was going to be facing us. And it's been all about this pandemic early on, you know, mm-hmm. um, so... So my days have gotten a lot longer, uh, you know, we, weekdays and weekends all blend into one another. And, and so it is it is a lot more than, um, you know, than I expected. But um, but the good thing is that because I'm familiar being on the council with government, at least I wasn't unfamiliar with the system and, you know, and, and you know, who you have to deal with and, and what you have to do. And, you know, just finding your way around and, and, and understanding the process. So in that sense, I felt like. The transition was uh, not as difficult, right? It, mm-hmm. I, what I'm trying to do, though, because we have very uh, not only young council members but new council members, right? So they're new to government in, in general, and to be right now, and I feel for them because to be in a position of decision making in a time of a pandemic, in any crisis, right, accelerates like your learning curve because usually you get you come in. You get to learn things, you know, in time and gradually ease into the role. But um, man, they've had to learn like on the fly. I mean, mm-hmm. in making, you know, some big decisions and being faced with like, you know, basic needs that people have. Like, I don't have enough to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. How do I not get evicted? You know, my family is sick. You know, somebody's passing away. Um, like serious, serious problems, right? That for a young person, a, a newly elected person that's completely unfamiliar with government or dealing with government for the first time. That's been my sort of, you know, that's what I've tried to do is try to ease them in and say, look, you know, um, if you can govern, if you can govern during this time, you'll be able to govern at any time, right? Because right. anybody can govern when things are good. Anybody can govern when nothing's going on and everything, every, you know, there's plenty of funding, you know, there's no, you know, health crisis, economic crisis, but I said, you know, this is your moment, you know, this Mm -hmm. is a moment where you learn, and you'll never forget this, right, because I know that when I was a new council member years ago, we had, I had come in right before the economic recession, right, of, you know, 2008, so I literally was, you know, there maybe a year, year and a half, and we just get, you know, steamrolled by this, you know, global recession that hits Mm -hmm. us, and you know, we're looking at potentially filing a bankruptcy. Well, you have to grow up really fast and, you know, and, you know, not in age, but in experience. Right. And and I think, um, you know, the council members who are like, like I said, you know, the, the, the oldest serving one or the longest serving one has about two years of experience after me. So that is really new, right. To be able to to have to deal with these things. So, so, um, you know, I, I just, I've just been trying to ease them into it and, and they're good, man. They're sharp, they're strong. Uh, and you know, the great thing about it, Noah, is that, um, the majority of us are either born or raised here in Santana Mm -hmm. and that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, of course. I think I had the pleasure of interviewing Jesse Lopez for the show, as well as Jonathan Hernandez and just meeting them, getting to conversate that with them. And I've seen a lot of, uh, Thai, I forgot her last name, fam, Thai fam's, yeah, Thai fam's work and everything on social media too. So like you said, going back to the voting how a lot of 18 to 35 year olds did the mail-in voting they're also part of that demographic and i feel like 
they're the voices of the, like you said, the future generations to come. And if they get to just continuously work up the ladder and hold positions, whether it's in local positions and so on and so forth, they have a lot of room to grow. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and like I said, I'm hoping that everybody felt inspired, right? Like, Hey, my vote counted, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I made change here and, you know, in, in the city I live in, in the city I love. And, and that's what to me towards the end, like as the days were getting closer to the election, I was like, Oh damn, I can't let these people down. You know, I can't let, you know, I can't let our folks down. Cause you know, I just, um, you know, you feel like the responsibility no longer to yourself, but to others. And that's the way I, I, I always saw it as like, this isn't my campaign, you know, this, uh, look, I'm a vessel, you know, and, and, and I hopefully carry some of the expectations and goals and dreams that other people have. And, you know, you, at some point, you know, I just realized I just don't want to let them down, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Okay. So like we said, back when we interviewed in October, things were such different. It was a different world or time that we were living in. And then obviously everything happened since then, especially around COVID and the pandemic, it's taking a, a very sharp spike in the winter time and then it's kind of seeing numbers go down but one of your main issues was to get more testing and also get more vaccinations to the city of santa Ana and people of this community especially like the essential workers what are some of those steps that you've been taking while you're in office to make sure those things happen yeah man great question so i do remember us talking about that because i remember right around october when we spoke the testing was going to end, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it was, you know, the money was running out. I think the testing ended early December. And I told you, I don't know what we're going to do, right? You know, at that point, you know, uh, funds are gone and all the, all these resources are gone. So one of the first things that we did when we started in January was to do an er- emergency um, uh, uh, funding uh, of additional testing, right? And it's more to set that testing up. So when vaccines came, we would transition into vaccinating and inoculating a lot of people in the community. So luckily we got that done. It was done on a 7-0, a unanimous vote, um, dedicating, I think about, um, I think it was half a million to a million dollars to just testing and just support for people. And, you know, and, and making sure that if, you know, somebody was found positive, they had a place to go isolate. So there was funds for people to go to like hotels, right. To separate from the person who was, who wasn't um, well. Um, So that was done. But a lot of what's happened, um, you know, since then has been, you know, vaccines have now started coming, right? I mean, just to everybody. But what's been, what's been difficult, and I got to be honest, is that they just haven't come to Santana in the numbers that I expected them to. And in the numbers, well, maybe not expected, but in the numbers that I believe is necessary, mm-hmm. uh, right? Because, you know, I think back when we were speaking, the numbers were high in Santana. Well, after the holidays, they got even higher, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it was like one in four people uh, were testing positive. I mean, that's just a crazy number, right? And and some of these zip codes, like in 92701, 92704, were totally spiking and exceeding all the averages in the county. And so in, in at some point, we had like close to four or five zip codes, four or five, four or five areas that were just really, really um, dangerous. And so, uh, you know, we started, you know, a, a campaign at that point with um, the school district, Latino Health Access to say, hey, you know, we got to be really careful. So we rolled something out called Protege Santana, Protect Santa Ana. Um, and we just did this, you know, full out campaign to just, you know, get people to not let their guard down, right? Not mm-hmm. believe, hey, this is not a thing. It's, you know, we're fine. 
but it was right after, you know, Christmas, New Year's, when a lot of people were just, you know, you, you just want to be with family. And I get it. You know, our culture just lends itself to that. And, um, and it's, and it's difficult, but we just saw, we just, I saw some very ugly things at some of our local hospitals, which is, you know, um, the morgues were so, uh, were so over capacity that they had to bring in trailers and bodies had to be stored in trailers. That is a terrible sight to see. And once I saw things like that happening here, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it just, you know, created a sense of, um, urgency. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and luckily we're now past that a little bit, but I still feel like because we're a community that's been so devastated by this, I mean, we, you know, had, you know, have more than 45,000 positive cases. Um, you know, that's a big, that's a huge number, man. I mean, you know, I, I, I every time I think about that, I think like, you know, that is a, you know, a, a large, large part of our, our, our population, but over 700 deaths. And each death represents like a family member, like one, per, like a father, a grand, you know, a grandparent, you know, a parent, you know, a sibling or, you know, a child. And so, you know, I just felt like we never got the, the amount of vaccine here in the city um, that we should have because we saw things being stood up at, you know, at um, Disneyland and Anaheim Convention Center and then a place, you know, Soka University and in South County, I think it was Aliso Viejo. Um, but I just felt like, you know, logic dictates, hey, let's bring the resources to where the problem is, right? Because right. the problem wasn't countywide. Everybody knew the problem or at least the, the, the heavy numbers, the high numbers, the high risk areas were in Santa mm -hmm. and, and a little bit of Anaheim, right? But the resources didn't come to us. And that's when, you know, um, I know this past week, I kind of lost it a little bit at the council meeting and, and, and there was an article about, you know, the rant I went on, but but at some point, I'm not trying to blame anybody, but I just want people to be responsible, you know, and say, let's help those who need the help. And so it looked bad because the vaccine was going to areas like that didn't have high numbers. And it, and it really did look it, it really did fit the stereotype of ignoring um, Latinos, low income people, you know, essential workers. And I just thought this is a horrible look for the county. It really, it really was. And so, I mean, something had to be said. And, and you know, I, you know, we've been sending letters and you know, talking to anybody. I'm, you know, I'm on the phone with the governor staff often, and um, and you know, and our state legislators, and you know, just telling them, you know, in the end, after this is over, people are going to hold you accountable. And they're going right. to say, "What did you do, man? You know, what? Where were you? I mean, these these families, these 700 families." If I, you know, I'm pissed for them and, you know, and, and, and I know that if I were one of them, I'd be saying, where were you? What did mm -hmm. you do? You know, how did you help my family? Right. And you mentioned too, I believe in our last interview, how cities like Long Beach or Pasadena have their own healthcare agencies. I know you wanted to do something like that in Santa Ana as, as far as there are any progress in getting that started or what's the steps that you need to be taken? Yeah, man, you're, 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 you're right on time. You're, you know, your, your timing is perfect. Cause I'm going to be um, introducing something this uh, at the next council meeting that is going to direct um, our staff to do what's called the feasibility study. So it's basically just to bring us back some information on what that would look like. Right. So um, yeah, if you look at long beach, uh, especially long beach um, they've almost vaccinated all their people. Right. I mean, they got direct supply. They were able to, you know, be really efficient and effective in how they delivered that vaccine. And they've been able to open up, you know, 
partially schools. And it's a really good look because they were able to, you know, sort of separate and <clears throat> do their own thing, sort of um, tailored to their community. And for Santana, I mean, I think that we're large enough, like I told you before, um, and we have more importantly than just being large enough, but we have such different challenges than like the other 34 or excuse me, 33 or 32 cities. I mean, the only one that would be kind of similar would be Anaheim to some degree, mm -hmm. but um, relative to the other cities, we just have really, really different challenges. I mean, we have a high, you know, uh, you know, large immigrant population, many of them with, you know, chronic underlying conditions, a lot of people who are undocumented, a lot of people who are low income. Um, so we should be able to tailor a public health system and response for them that's really different than the rest of the county because trying to do something countywide when you have a community that's so different like Santana I mean I, I, I get their challenge but I also think that um, you know we've always been sort of ignored right mm -hmm. and I think this way um, you know what I'm hoping to do again at the next council meeting is um, and hopefully my colleagues will support it um, I know that they they know that there's no secret that I've had about uh, just looking at it, at least the first step um, to look at it and see, you know, how much it would cost, what it would take. But um, but I think it's time. I think if there's anything that this pandemic showed us is that, you know, we were on our own. We are on our own, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so if we're going to do that, we might as well get the funding for it, you know, directly from the federal government and let us let us allocate this. Let us, you know, do our let us protect our people the way we know how. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it too earlier, how the vaccines didn't really reach the people that it needed to or that were hit the hardest. That's something we saw on a national level too. And that's something I feared when the vaccines did start first rolling out is that the more, I would even say the more privileged, but just the wealthier bunch or people who feel like they're more privileged, you know, we're trying to cut corners, cut lines. And we've seen that all across the nation. I think that's something that's a little bit disgraceful, obviously, or discouraging. You know, it's discouraging to see that people don't have the perspective to put someone to put themselves in someone else's shoes as someone that may need it more someone who's an essential worker versus working from home or someone who's in a crowded apartment complex versus someone who's in a two-story mansion looking over the ocean so it's just uh, it's very like i said discouraging to see that on a national level and a county level oh man well i'll help you it's unconscious look to me it, it borders on criminal I, mm -hmm. I i'm telling you you know it is it is the wrong thing to do when you're a public uh, you know, elected official, you know, you should be seeing how can I help those that are in the most need? That should be your first reaction. Let me help those that are in the most dire need. And, you know, even if that wasn't the case, if you look at Orange County, right now, we're really close to moving into what's called the red tier, which is the less restrictive tier. We're in, we're in purple tier right now, which is the, the most restrictive, right? Um, but we could have been in the red tier, the lower tier, and started opening up more businesses, because we do need to do that, man. We need to open up businesses. People need to work, right? They want to go back to work and they need to work, especially our people. Um, we could have been there had the county said, hey, you know what? Let's go get those communities that are most hard hit. Let's get them better. Let's get their numbers lower. Um, because on average, and if you look at like the mean or the average of, you know, um, you know, cases, if you attack where the problem is the highest, you're going to bring the average way way down mm -hmm. rather than starting in areas where it wasn't you know it wasn't as high mm -hmm. right um so everybody complains about not being able to open well had the strategy been different and the strategy begun in communities like ours 
we could have brought the entire county average down. We would be in the red tier, if not lower, right? And so that, you know, sort of mistake not only cost us, but it cost the entire county. And, you know, and so the entire county has to wait now another two, possibly three weeks to be able to get into the next tier had the strategy been different. And, and you know, like you said, you would think human nature is like, let's just go help those people that really do need the help because they're the ones right. who are suffering. That aside, all right, that aside, your that that moral decision aside, you should lose, use logic to say, hey, if we want to improve as a county, let's hit the hard hit areas. We bring the average way down and we'll be opening up a lot sooner and we'll be in a healthier place. Mm-hmm. So, well, going back to the vaccines, I know a lot of people, at least in my age group and my demographic, they're a little skeptical of the vaccine. How do we improve the message about, hey, this vaccine is beneficial to you? And we get people, especially the older generations, the ones that who are in line first and essential workers like teachers and stuff like that, as they move down the, um, the block, how do we get those people to be more comfortable taking the vaccine? Yeah, I think it's a matter of just offsetting a lot of the misinformation, you know, because I hate to say it, even some of the Spanish language media will say, you know, no te, no te vacunes, te van a poner un chip en el brazo y te van a seguir. So it's, it's a matter of just, you know, talking to people and, um, and, and putting out accurate information. So I think that's the best thing we can do is put out, you know, good evidence-based, factual-based information that basically tells you uh, nothing is perfect. And, and that's, you know, sort of the premise you should, you know, we have to start with is that there is no silver bullet here. But if you look at what the virus does to a system, you know, versus what a vaccine can do to you that, you know, has already been tested, has already gone through, you know, rigorous, rigorous, um, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, scrutiny. Um, I think that, you know, what I've seen is clearly this, this virus, you know, you'll get over it. But the remnants and the after effects, you know, long term to a person's, you know, immune system and more importantly, your respiratory system. I mean, they're saying that if you look at lungs that are, you know, are aren't impacted by the virus and those that have had the virus, you know, it looks like a person who's had it, you know, may not have been a smoker, but it looks like they've been smoking their entire lives. Right. Right. So we still don't know the long term effects of these viruses. Um, You know, I'm worried about that. And the way, you know, I see it is that you know, you, you know, there is more damage that will be done by this virus, virus to your system than this, um, than this vaccination that has been, again, peer reviewed, tested, and looked at and looked at in a short, in a short time. So it really is, um, you know, that vaccine hesitancy or reluctance is a real thing, especially in our community, because our community is easily, um, can be easily misinformed, because, Mm -hmm. you know, there, there are, uh, media outlets that are trusted, you know, I mean, you know, you look at, you know, Univision, Telemundo, you know, radio stations, they have a lot of influence on our community. So to the extent that they're not pushing out good, accurate, evidence-based information that could lead to confusion. And so I know that um, I'm in the process of uh, putting together a video with the Consulado de Mexico Mm. Um, in Spanish, so we can get it out to people to offset and, and provide at least good data, right? Um, and, and unfortunately, man, that had to be put back because the consul, uh, the actual consul de Mexico here in Santana, just passed away. So that got put on hold. And yeah, he, he was a good man, uh, Mario mm. Cuevas. And, um, but it wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't um, COVID related. 
but um, but it was more, you know, something that, you know, we realized, you know, just a few weeks ago, we're going to get tons of vaccines. So that's one thing everybody should know. We're going to get, we're going to get literally a glut and flooded with vaccine very, very soon. So it's now getting those vaccine into arms. And how do we do that without people, like you said, feeling um, nervous, feeling anxious, and feeling reluctant about getting it? It's, um, you know, it's something that we all need to just, you know, especially our parents, grandparents, uh, people that you said that are, you know, that are essential workers and dealing with the public. Um, you know, that's who we want to have, you know, vaccinated, you know, young dudes like you, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're not immune from it, but right. the propensity is just lower. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and the fact that you'll bounce back quicker than some of us, you know, is, is a, is a real thing, but, um, but yeah, getting it into older folks' arms is, is, you know, is, is going to be important. And I think the transparency is key too, because we've seen it on a national level, at least like it was a vice president Harris. She had like a whole picture and video of her getting the shot as well as I, you know, you're a big basketball fan and I've seen commercials from, you know, I'm watching an NBA game and people like older players like uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and a few other players will, you know, talk about the vaccine and kind of encourage the, the viewers to, you know, feel more comfortable about it. And I think that's a step in the right direction because even before this pandemic rolled around, even before this vaccine, there was a lot of people who were skeptical of vac vaccinations. And I think this has only escalated. And then the distrust of our government has escalated more too in these times. So, you know, I think people are, it's, it's at an all time high, I feel like vaccine hesitancy and skepticism, but it's good to see whether it's you at a local level or, you know, Vice President Harris or just other people that are very familiar, someone very prominent like Kareem, those people kind of help people feel more com comfortable. That's a good point. I, I think you're right. I, and I think because, you know, communities like ours, especially, you know, the African-American community too, I mean, they have just a, oh, there's a horrible history, you know, with, with you know, um, you know, uh, the black community being used, uh, you know, for other purposes. And, and, and so their, their reluctance is real. I mean, they're, they've got history to reflect on to show that, you know, not all these tests, uh, you know, were helpful and, uh, and, and positive. And, and so you're right. I think it is, you know, I think, I think it has been really helpful. So that's a question I'm going to ask you. So somebody, you know, and this is what my wife has told me, she goes, well, why don't you get, you know, yourself inoculated, do it on camera, do it on a video and put it out there. That way people know, look, you're not just telling people to do it, but you're actually doing it yourself. Um, so I, I, I've been of the, you know, belief that look, as soon as it's available to me, I'm there. Like, I'm, I'm not going to even, you know, uh, you don't even have to ask me twice, but I also, you know, am, um, you know, uh, you know, aware that I don't want to jump in front of anybody that, you know, needs it more than I do. So right. that's where I think my, my challenge has been. And so my wife and I go back and forth. So she's like, man, go get it done. You could, you know, you should get it done now because you're out there with the public. You're out there, you know, speaking to people, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with people. You don't want to, you know, pass it along to anybody or somebody pass it along to you and then you can't do your work. Um, so I think, you know, I think there is a provision in, in some of the executive orders where essential workers include, you know, um, you know, elected officials or people who are going to be in positions of, of authority and decision-making um, that they can get it. But I've always thought, you know, man, if I could give up my vaccine for a senora who's, you know, really in a tough place and she's vulnerable, 100%, right? But, um, but I do think, like, to your point, there's value in seeing, like, somebody who you know in the community is like, you know, you see them getting vaccinated, you're like, all right, 
you know, I, I, I'll, I'm, I'm good as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Now going on to another issue that we talked about pretty in depth on our last October interview was affordable housing. What are some things you're doing now as a mayor to address the affordable housing issue in the city of Santa Ana? So good question. And, um, you know, on Tuesday, uh, so your timing's good, man. You've been hitting things that have just ha are either are about to happen or just happened. So on Tuesday night, we um, I, I directed an ad hoc committee, which is a uh, which is a small committee of the city council to address the issue of housing. So um, we appointed uh, I appointed three council members to sit on this advisory committee to give us direction on what what you know what we should do. So they're going to be looking at the affordability question. They're going to be looking at rent control. They'll be looking at, at a document that's a kind of a governing document called the housing element. And they'll be talking about the general plan. So those are things, all of them related to um, the housing uh, issue here in Santana. So a, lot, a lot's happened on housing. There was, you know, there was a couple of appeals that were filed by neighboring cities like Irvine, Newport Beach, Yorba Linda, and Garden Grove that were filed against us about maybe a month, month and a half ago. They had been filed previously, but they were decided about a month, month and a half ago, um, where they wanted to take credit for all the affordable housing that we're doing here in our city. And so, you know, it's just not a good look for other cities to do that. I mean, you know, they should have just come to us and said, hey, you know, how can you help us? And we would have said, you know, let's sit down and talk. But, um, you know, to file things, you know, uh, I, I just didn't think was the right way to go. They ended up losing. Um, because we weren't saying we're going to stop doing affordable housing. We, I, if anything, we want to do it, but we want to do it in a way that makes sense to our people, right? I want to look at where's the need and, you know, and, and the need isn't for people who are making more than $80,000 a year. The need is for people who are making less than 40 and $30,000 a year. That's where the need is. So if, you know, I'm hoping that this committee on housing will bring us back some recommendations that we can now take some steps forward. And, and I'm, I'm really confident because there's some, you know, there's there, you know, um, the council members who are going to be serving on there have all said that they're very interested, very concerned, and they campaigned on this. They campaigned literally on this issue. Right. Um, and so I know that um, I'm encouraged that, uh, you know, we'll be able to bring something back that we can start looking at really soon. But, um, but it's, you know, the other thing that we're, you know, uh, that, Kind of related well is definitely related to housing is rental assistance right mm -hmm. i'm not sure if, when we spoke we knew that people were nervous about like how long am i going to be able to stay if i can't pay my rent right. given that maybe they're not working or their hours have been cut or whatever consequence this pandemic has, has affected them so we uh, just received about close to 10 million dollars on rental assistance so um we want to make sure and i want to make sure that it's spent really intelligently um, to where we affect as many people as we can, help as many people as we can and negotiate with the landlords, right? As opposed to like, you know, somebody's six months behind on their rent, offer them four months, say here, you know what? Here's four months worth of um, uh, back rent or arrears um, on your rent. Go ahead and forgive the other two. And, and many of our landlords are doing that. And you know what? Our landlords do also need help because some of them, are, you know, it's just family. You know, I mean, they're just like, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, a mom and pop or whatever, or, you know, um, people who are not affluent, they just own a piece of property. And mm -hmm. they're also in a position that they have to pay their mortgage. So to the extent we can help them help the tenants at the same time, it is a win-win. So um, I'm encouraged. I just, you know, I'm always worried. 
how do we get that information out to the people who need it the most? And the people who need it the most are ones are the ones that hear about it the least, right? Yeah, or right. the last ones to hear about. Like they hear about it when the money's gone, you know. Yeah. And, and and that's my challenge is how do you reach out to them? How do you engage with them? How do you get them? Because usually, you know, the great thing is that this isn't limited to um, legal residents or citizens. Immigration status isn't isn't a question. So those that are undocumented are eligible for this as well. But you know they, um, you know it's just they're they're a hard to reach demographic and a hard to reach community. So that's that's the challenge right now that we're having or that we're going to try to tackle really effectively. It's like let's get these to the people that need it the most, right? And going back to the conversation we had about it being criminal for those of more affluent neighborhoods, you know, cutting lines to go to get the vaccine and stuff over the people who need it more. I think evicting people during these times too i mean whether it's at a local level or stuff that i've seen at a national level that's almost downright criminal too like the fact that we can't you know feel some sort of sympathy and empathy for you know someone who if they're going through hard times and, and this is such unprecedented times the fact that people are still getting evicted is, is really sad to see yeah so it so it's literally criminal now mm -hmm. because there are provisions in, in these executive orders that if somebody gets evicted um and you know um there really is there there is a moratorium on the evictions which means you can't legally evict anybody so so it literally is criminal um the tenants will have legal rights that they're afforded so they can take these landlords and and there's few man i'm hoping you know there's fewer and fewer in santana um you know that do this because they'll find themselves in a problem right i mean because the tenants can sue and the tenants can sue on their rights under these protections that have been afforded to them both at the federal level, state level, and local level, so they have a lot of remedies um, that they can, you know, um, you know, protect themselves with. So landlords have to be careful, and they have to understand, you know, that you know tenants now have been empowered with certain rights that they didn't have before because of this public health crisis, right? It's no, and and eventually these protections will go away as the pandemic recedes and as we start um, lifting these protections. But, um, but for now, it really is dangerous if a landlord makes these decisions without good cause. And, um, and so, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's, so it, it literally will be violating the law if you do that. So you're right, you and I believe that, look, you shouldn't do it because it's just morally the wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, not everybody, you know, has a good, strong moral compass, right? And so that's why these like legal rights have to be there to protect, uh, protect these tenants. Mm -hmm. Now, I know another topic we talked about last time we chatted was helping small businesses out. And we talked about it earlier, too, in the conversation, how small businesses either lost a lot of money or someone has to go out of business because of the pandemic and they weren't able to open up. What are some things that City of Santa Ana is doing right now to you know, help those, those local small businesses that keep our community afloat? Yeah, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to make sure we have we have our own grants which are you know you know they're they're small look they're they're you know right around five thousand dollars we we've dispensed about five million dollars in, in business grants small business grants to um some of our um businesses that have been challenged some that are really close to failing because you know we have some businesses that haven't opened up since march of last year like so they're going literally on a year of being closed um, I remember, I, I'm trying to remember the date, the exact date. I remember March 15th as a date in my mind that I remember the, the governor's executive order last year just came down and shut everything down, right? So we're very close to that date. Um, 
but yeah, some businesses haven't opened up for that year. And to me, what few dollars, what scarce dollars we have in funding for support for our businesses, I'm trying to find those businesses that are really struggling and the ones that, you know, are barely making it to make sure that they don't fail. And, and what's been difficult though, is that um, there's some businesses that have defied these orders, man. And, you know, and that, you know, I get it. I get calls almost daily about businesses that um, not just now that things are getting a little better, but when it was really bad, you mm. still had businesses that were opening up indoors. People weren't wearing masks. Nobody was, you know, distanced. I mean, all, everything you shouldn't do was being, it was like, you know, the, the, the pandemic wasn't happening, right? Mm -hmm. And so to me, that was really difficult because, you know, the question was, do we go in and shut them down? Do we go in there and cite them and give them fines? Um, and, uh, and to me, uh, it was, again, going back to the morality of this, how could you do that to people? You know, right. how could you expose people to that? And, you know, and yeah, we all need to, you know, we all need to, we would all love to have our businesses uh, continue to, you know, um, do well and survive, but you can't do that to the public. I mean, you just can't do that to people and, and your own staffs. Right. Um, so, you know, what we decided is to take a different approach is that when we get money, we want to reward and give those funds and that support to businesses that have been following the rules and following the law and taking care of their employees and taking care of their patrons and protecting them. Give them the money first um, and give them the money because it'll probably be exhausting on them because we have so many more good actors than bad actors. Mm -hmm. But for those that um, you know have been defying the law, haven't been following the rules, um, we can you know we can go in and shut them down or we can go in and give them citations, but they'll just pay the citations and, right. you know, and, and continue operating. Where you really get them, and this is what we're doing, we put them on notice, like, hey, we get that you're doing this, but just consider this. When you go back to renew your license hmm. or your permit, we're going to remember this. This is going to be on our log. Mm -hmm. So a fine of $100, anybody can pay. You just, it's a cost of doing business, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're going to compromise your permit or your license going forward, that's what I'm hoping will get people's attention. And that's what we've been doing is sending out notices to everybody just saying, be forewarned. You know, we're, you know, when you come up for renewal, this is, you know, this is something that we're going to consider, uh, you know, in, in, in renewing your license or permit. Mm -hmm. And I think that stems from the lack of continuity. I believe it was around the winter time when things were really spiking, you know, Governor Newsom made the call to, you know, go back on shutdown and close things up more tightly. But I believe it was like the Orange County Sheriff, the Riverside County Sheriff, both of them were kind of like, well, we're not going to enforce it. And you know, the people hearing that, like the disconnect, now all of a sudden, like they're just more relaxed attitudes, businesses probably think the same thing. And that's where it comes to, you know, the, the lack of, like, like I said, continuity between different levels of government and then the people following those rules and, and not necessarily like going back to what I said earlier too, not trusting the government that they're doing, you know, what's best for them or, you know, backed by science and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a, it's, it's tricky, but it stems from, I, mean, I think that. Yeah, totally. No, I think that, you know, that's a great point. I think you're almost cherry picking the information too, because, you know, um, you're going to say, well, to your benefit, well, so-and-so said, you know, it's okay to go ahead and, you know, open or, you know, they're not enforcing it. So it must be okay. But, you know, you know, you, when you had the president saying things like, you know, 
masks aren't important and, you know, and let's open things up and, you know, and, and so you're getting that from the top and you've had like a year of that, you know, nonsense. Um, and then, you know, and then you have others, like you said, other local authorities who are telling you, well, we're not going to enforce this. This is not good. You know, this isn't important. Um, yeah, it confuses people, but then it makes people say, again, you cherry pick the information when you have people giving you good reasons why you shouldn't. And you say, well, so-and-so, you know, says it's okay. And, and you'll use that to your advantage. And, and yeah, it, it does confuse people. There is no consistency, um, you know, especially here in Orange County. I mean, like I said, here in Santana, very different than some of the other communities in the rest of the, in the rest of the county that, um, yeah, you know, like, like it was like a party, you know, and, and, and it was, it, it's tough to see, you know, I, I mean, I, it's tough for me to look at and think, you know, a lot of those businesses outside of Santana and the rest of the county, you have the employees who are from Santana, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, they go out there, they get sick, they bring it home. Like you said, they, many of them live in overcrowded conditions in multi-generational households and they get their entire house, you know, house sick, right? right? Everybody there. And so that's what to me was tough is that, you know, it's just, it's not just a Santa Ana problem, but when you have people who work everywhere, right? You know, I mean, all, all throughout the county and beyond, um, you bring whatever it is that you're exposed to home. So, you know, look, in the end, I think the idea is to just get everybody um, inoculated quickly. And, um, and that way, the numbers will start coming down, but um, but it's been you know it's it's been a struggle. Just like you said, having a consistent theme, having a consistent message, um, and people get confused. And even our own people here in Santana, I mean, they're they they um, they have their own opinions, man. We're you know we're very opinionated here. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them say, hey, this is the right thing to do, and some of them are like, leave me alone. You know, right. I, I I know how to take care of myself. And so in that sense, I respect everybody's opinion. All we can do as you know. Uh, you know, as, as, as public officials is just try to give good, clear, um, you know, again, factual uh, information. So mm -hmm. now I wanted to take it back to a national level because <laughs> on January 6th, we saw something that we've never seen in our history before. There was a, a group of protesters, not even protesters, but just people stormed the uh, Capitol building over in Washington, D.C. You know, can, can you describe, I guess, what your emotions and your thoughts were on after seeing that news break? Yeah, man. I, I the only way I could describe it is that they're domestic terrorists. I mean, in my opinion, they're they're people that, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, degraded our government to a point where I felt I was looking at a at a, a third world country. Because I mean, those of us who are from Latin American countries, I mean, I'm from Bolivia. You see stuff like that a lot: the corruption, the violence, the you know, the insurgency of people. Um, and that's because, you know, they get a lot of outside influences in these, you know, smaller, you know, um, you know, poorer countries. Um, I don't think it's something inherent to them. I just think they have influences that come in from the outside. But for, you know, for the United States, I mean, it's always been seen as like, you know, we respect our democracy. All of us abide by certain, you know, rules and, and principles, right, that, you know, we're going to respect, you know, uh, election results. So to see that, um, yeah, it was it was disturbing because, uh, you know, you saw people that um, that really did uh, feel like I, I saw a lot of white supremacists. Right. I, I saw a lot of white supremacy. And I just thought these are people who think that their government is being taken away from them. And, and I just what, what what was most alarming is that if it could happen there, 
it could really happen anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And you start seeing that that should be the most sacred place. And, you know, after that, nothing is safe because you could go into state capitals, you can go into local, you know, uh, city halls, and all this stuff can happen anywhere because you have people that are that, again, being misled to think that, you know, um, you know, their point of view is something that, you know, is getting away from them. I, I just saw a lot of fearful people, um, you know, scared, willing to go ahead and harm others because they think that their way of life is being taken away from them. And I realized the sad part about it is that many in this country believe that um, we shouldn't have, you know, um, you know, sort of a diverse government, you know, uh, broad democracy, um, you know, people of color in positions of power. These are people that are really pushing back against that. And when you think about how many people supported uh, Trump and his, you know, lies, it just brings it back to like seeing how divided we are as a country. For those of us who think we're making good progress and things are looking better, when you see how many people are like, no, that, that's, not, that's not the America I want to see. Mm -hmm. um, it is, it, you know, we've got a tough road. So, you know, I mean, that, that's what made me realize is that, yeah, we've got a tougher road than we expected. Yeah, because you mentioned the lies that he was spreading in the fact that it was, you know, voter fraud and, you know, that they didn't want to win the election properly. And I think, I think news media outlets too have to be held more accountable too, as far as what they say, because they continuously put that information out and any other Trump supporter already that was existing. Now here's this from the, the news that they watch and they feel some type of way about it. And, and all of a sudden they're aggressive and, or they just feel, you know, gun ho about it and whatever. And it's it just, it's, it's total, I would say it's manipulation, not only on Trump's behalf, but as well as like other media outlets and what they're playing on their news cycles and what they're feeding these people. Because a lot of times I just think they're, they're misinformed and that's why they feel that type of way, but they don't see the other side of the coin and they're only getting fed a certain type from their news. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, it's funny. Cause yeah, when you look at the press and you look at the media at some point, um, you know, when, when, when your media is profit driven and you, you know, your, your ability to exist depends upon ratings, how objective can you be? Right. I mean, and so I, I think that whether it's the media on the left, whether it's the media on the right, I mean, unfortunately, they're in a position where they have to pay the bills, right? And so they pander to a certain audience and the, the, the real losers are the rest of us, right? Who want information that's objective, that's unbiased. Um, and where do we get that? Uh, what source is pure, right? I mean, who, who's gonna bring us that, you know, fact-based information uh, when there's no motive? If, if everybody is trying to like get the higher ratings, so you have, you know, Fox, you know, you have, MSNBC, you have the others. Um, and, and so, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge, man. I mean, I think that that's, that's where I think the public are the losers because, you know, because we, again, where do we go for that information? Because there are things that, you know, you know, I concede is that, you know, even on the left, some things are just not accurate, right? And they're not clear. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of it is, you know, uh, is pandering. And, you know, for many of us, we just want to have information so we can make an informed decision right mm -hmm. and that's where i think you know we lose and you know you you have folks that are just trying to get you know trying to get ratings and, and you know for the right i mean they you know trump was the look he was um you know he was a blessing to that man because you know they got higher ratings than when than than any time in their past because he was such a lightning rod for people to you know listen to and 
And it was a scary moment that a person like that could, you know, could change things so, so drastically, like one person. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there's a few cities to go back to a local level in Orange County that are opening up school districts. Is there a plan for Santa Ana to reopen? And what are some of the precautions that we're going to see now after bringing kids back into school? Yeah, so, man, another great question. So, um, so I, I have my, you know, opinions of it. Uh, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of kids and I listen to a lot of parents, more importantly, that think, you know, that tell me <clears throat> their kids are sad, their kids are depressed, mm -hmm. uh, their kids are really fatigued and anxious to, you know, just go back, right? Go back to school, um, go back to a, a different, you know, to their, to their way of life. Um, and, you know, they've lost so much time learning and, you know, and look, teachers have been great. They've been doing their best, but there is even your best under these conditions is never going to be equivalent to actually what the environment of learning is in person. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so even on your best day of virtual learning is probably not going to equate to the worst day of in-person learning. Um, so I get the challenge and I understand, you know, where the teachers are. So I've tried to stay in my lane and not get too much involved in the, you know, what the school district does on its decision. But I think that, um, like, I have a lot of faith in them. You know, I, I have a lot of trust that um, they see that same um, anxiety on the faces of parents and on, you know, on the faces of the, of the, of the kids, right? Um, so yesterday I was at um, Santa Ana High with the Saints, the varsity uh, Saints football team. Mm. I know one of the assistant, assistant coaches. So we went out there and just, I just wanted to meet them. I just wanted to talk to them and they invited me out there to go uh, say a few words and just to see the looks on their faces, man, was incredible. They were like, they were just happy to be outside. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna have a limited season. It'll be maybe six games, I think. Um, probably nobody's in shape, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, cause they've been conditioning lightly and it's nothing like, you know, conditioning with full pads and helmets and everything else. Um, but look, they just looked thrilled to be out there. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing to see. And so I hope that, um, you know, we can get there. And I think the governor is doing a good job in incentivizing and motivating. And, you know, um, you know, I hope that, you know, our communities um, take advantage of that funding safely because, uh, look, nobody wants staff or faculty or anybody on a campus to get themselves uh, exposed or sick. So, you know, making sure that the option of vaccinations is available 100%, and I think that's what's being done. I think, I think, the, um, I think it looks good uh, hopefully, you know, everybody is, is safe and everybody is, you know, inoculated first, and then the transition is done smoothly. Cause I know that again, going back to like Long Beach as an example, they were able to, you know, vaccinate a lot of their teachers and faculty, and they brought back the elementary school kids first, you know, mm -hmm. to start small. And then they gradually are, excuse me, going to be going up, you know, grade levels, but, you know, I think that we can get there. And I've spoken to a couple of um, school board members. And like I said, I have a lot of trust in them. And I've tried to stay in my lane, right? I, I haven't tried to tell them, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that. But I do share with them that I hear a lot of um, anxiety from parents, a lot of sadness from kids. And I live it. I mean, I've got, you know, my, you know, my senior and my, my freshman as well. And so I see it at home. But I know that in other households, it's probably even more... Um, you know, it's more difficult. So, um, you know, it's funny because I mean, there's a city. Well, in San Francisco, uh, the mayor sued their schools, school district, wow. because they haven't been opening, and, and you know, they haven't opened up. 
So, you know, she got aggressive and look, she's a, she's a good mayor. Uh, you know, she's very sharp, but it got to that point. And, you know, I, I don't think it'll ever get to that point here in Santana because, you know, we have a good relationship between both our, both our, you know, agencies, but, um, but I mean, I know that the, 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 again, the, uh, emer the urgency of wanting to get uh, this issue uh, addressed and getting kids back into school, protecting the teachers, protecting the faculty and staff is so important, but I do think we can reconcile it. So I, I've heard as early as um, spring, you know, right around spring break, either before or after, mm -hmm. but because sports are opening up and, you know, I know for my boy, he wants to go back to playing basketball. Um, they're looking at doing, you know, limited indoor sports as well, you know? Um, so I think everything, all the trend trending lines are looking good for there to be some, maybe some recovery of, um, you know, uh, something this semester. Right. Cause I think at the end of the day, you know, we both grew up in Santa Ana. We both come from immigrant backgrounds and we understand like the struggles. And I, at least for me, like sports was something I could look forward to outside the house and look like when the pandemic first hit and I wasn't working, you know, I was forced to spend more time at home with my family and I don't, I didn't have the best relationship with my family, but I'm also, you know, 26. So I was able to save up some money and I moved out to where I'm, you know, renting a, a small room on my own kids that are you know 13 or even younger kids don't have that option kids don't have the ability to you know go if i wanted to escape i could you know simply drive to a hiking spot and you know go hike for a few hours during this pandemic um they don't have that luxury and so i think a lot of times yeah like the the sports is definitely like their one thing their one outlet that they can turn to and you know i get to coach too at a, a high school in garden grove but it's on the santa Ana border santiago high school and you know it's it's, it's encouraging to see them how happy they get just to be ready and getting prepared for season and as wacky as things are. And like you said, it's a shortened season. They're just so excited to, to have something to look forward to other than, you know, logging onto zoom, never leaving the room, you know, they can't see their friends. And of course, social media, I think plays a big part in it too, because, you know, our generations didn't really grow up with social media as much, but they're getting fed so much stuff through Instagram and if they're following a bunch of different pages of people still going out or whatever, or adults, I, I don't know, they just have the fear of missing out on different things because they're younger, because of their situations and they don't have anything to look forward to on a daily to day basis. Yeah, I think that all those things are, you know, they're just layered on top of everything for them. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, look, sports are, are definitely like, you know, critical, right? Mm -hmm. But I just think human interaction Mm -hmm. um, for that, you know, at, at that age, when you're, you know, when you're in your teens or younger, and even little kids, I mean, you know, yeah. look, all kids, I mean, they just miss being with other kids, right? You know, their age, whether it's elementary, intermediate, or high school. And I just think it is very difficult. I think, you know, you know, we're, we're maybe going to call this the lost year, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, because, um, because I can't imagine, you know, not being able to, uh, you know, graduate with your you know with your peers you know be in you know be on campus with your you know, with your friends because even if you're not an athlete I think just that human touch because like you said you're the conditions that we live in in Santana were very you know closed in and to be able to see a friend and to be able to see a teacher or a counselor who's going to talk to you and tell you things that um, are important you know yeah. um, how to how to apply how to how to you know fill out your college application in a way that's more personal than like on a zoom call right, right. Um, you know, I think those things, those elements, you know, you miss. And so, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm just very grateful. Look, I mean, we'd be having a different conversation, Noah, if there weren't vaccines. 
Mm -hmm. um, this would be a really tough conversation because we'd be thinking about, well, who knows when, right? Like right. how long, we don't know how long this is going to uh, last. But I do think that the advent of these vaccinations are going to make us get there a little bit faster. And, and, you know, I have trust in, you know, in, in, in the superintendent and school board that, you know, they are looking at how we can, you know, a path to get, um, get kids back early. I'm hoping, you know, look, if uh, I, I was going to propose to them, you know, I want to see the kids graduate and hopefully mm -hmm. we can have them graduate like in person if it's done well, because Santa stadium's big, you know, the yeah. capacity is about 9,000. And I know that they were looking at, yeah, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. You know, we were looking at um, doing a drive-through graduation, and that's a possibility. I just want to offer up the idea of, hey, let's see how we can use a stadium where you spread people out really, you know, far, and maybe make smaller groups of graduating classes, and maybe limit it to two parents, or you know, because to me, the ceremony, the graduation ceremony, is more important or as important to mm -hmm. the parents as it is to the student because it's. For, for, for many families, it's your first person in your family to graduate high school. And it right. is such a symbolic, important moment. You know, it's a milestone, right? So mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever we can do to help out, we're just going to offer it up. Right, because even to bring it back to like my perspective, when I graduated from Sacramento, it's about a seven hour drive. And you know, a lot of my family wanted to go out there because I was you know, one of the first members of my family to graduate from college. And it's like you said, it's a big thing, especially coming from that immigrant background, which a lot of Santa Ana families have high school sometimes is just as big for them though, because a lot of their parents or grandparents didn't get to have the high school education. They had to work from a young age. And so it's, it's just monumental. And like you said, just putting on the, the cap and gown and you know, throwing it in the air. That's an experience that so many people around the, uh, the world can say that they've shared, but you know, last year didn't obviously get that last year's class didn't get to do it. And hopefully this year's class, like you said, I'm glad we can find, hopefully we could find some way that we can make that happen. Yeah, man, we're, you know, uh, it, it, you know, there's just more hope. I think this year, there's just more hope than last year. Last year, I think we were all just, just really scratching our heads, like going, man, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and so I think now we have a little, a little better um, sense of where we can go and maybe timelines. And uh, like I said, I just think we're going to get flooded with vaccine uh, and we're going to be able to start getting them in people's arms. And I think people will start getting better and conditions will start improving. And so if we can, I mean, graduation is what, maybe May or June, depending on the campus, um, you know, that's a ways off. And hopefully if we do a good job, a better job from this point forward, there's some things that can be done to salvage seasons, to salvage, you know, some in-class stuff and, and hopefully salvage, a, you know, a, a, a very, very reduced, um, you know, graduation ceremony. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, there's just hope. I just, I just feel hope that, you know, we're even having these conversations, right? And that, mm -hmm. and that's a good thing, man. That's a good, that's a good problem to have that, you know, how we can get there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And going back to your role as a mayor, what are some other goals that you have laid out for 2021 and things that you'd like to accomplish? Yeah. So a lot of stuff is on the way, you know, and, and, and in the pipeline, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, uh, policy changes with respect to housing. You know, we did a nice thing that, um, you know, didn't get a lot of attention, but I think was important. Um, we changed a policy um, uh, at, the, at the city council level where now anybody who's a resident of Santana can serve on a city commission or board, uh, mm -hmm. where before you had to be a voter. Uh, to, and that means you had to have, you know, legal citizenship. Um, 
you know, and, and be a citizen to be able to serve on a, on, a, on a city board or commission. And so we removed that language and made it eligible for anybody who resides in the city. So that means a person who is undocumented can serve on, um, on a city board or commission. And to me, those changes are important, uh, not just symbolically, but really, you know, effectively. I think maybe four or five of us on the council have appointed, um, uh, you know, uh, people to serve as city commissioners and board members who are undocumented. And that means that, you know, these are people who are raised here, you know, who know the city well, who love the city, mm -hmm. who are extremely intelligent and qualified, can now serve, and whereas before they couldn't. So those are steps that I think at least make, um, you know, make everybody feel like they're part of the community, you know, and no longer like, hey, you're separated or you're somehow different or inferior or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, that's one change, I think, that, you know, continue to promote, you know, support for the immigrant and undocumented community. But I think another one is just, you know, looking at what we can do when it comes to, um, you know, the youth, right? And mm -hmm. what does the youth want to see as changes? And, you know, and a lot of what the youth that I heard, they said, hey, we want reform, you know, in law enforcement. We want more investment in programming for youth. Um, and we want more space for us to be able to... Um, you know, to be able to, you know, uh, just go throw a ball, go throw a frisbee, go, you know, have some, some, some park space available. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, another committee that we set up to work with the school district will attack that problem of um, what's called um, joint use and maybe, maybe work with the school district to see how we can uh, jointly use that space. Um, in other words, the, um, you know, sort of the schoolyard and open it up as maybe a park mm -hmm. and maybe the city can help fund that, uh, secure it, maintain it. Uh, but I remember as a kid, I mean, going back a long time, <laughs> but, um, but as a kid, you know, my, my park was my school. Like mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't have a park anywhere near me. Um, so our neighborhood school, the school that we all attended, that's where we'd play football. That's where we'd play basketball. Um, and you know, that was just for lack of a better word, that was our, open space right mm -hmm. and so to the extent we can get back there um we could you know there's a lot of beautiful campuses and you know in, in the city and so hopefully if we can find a way to maybe find a few that will make sense and open those up especially in those neighborhoods that don't have a park anywhere near there right mm -hmm. and if we could do it safely if the city will help uh maintain it and secure it um uh, and, and the school district works with us i mean uh you know i, I just think that would be a great thing because i I don't like to see locks on, you know, gates on, on schools, man. You know, it's, you know, not in Santa, you know, not, not, not because we're such a park poor community. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different kind of environment. I think I've always appreciated parks, but I've learned to appreciate parks more during this time because it would be a, a good place to go read or, you know, play a, a board game with my friend on a nice sunny day, that kind of thing. And, you know, going from city to city, you see the differences in parks and how they treat their parks from a, a Tustin and Irvine or even, a city like Buena Park and Cypress compared to the Santa Ana's, Anaheim's, and Garden Groves, and just the, the difference in resources and they put in their to their parks, you know, especially someone like me, I like to play basketball and a lot of the Santa Ana parks will still have the cracks and it's almost dangerous to play basketball at a park there and the bathrooms are usually uh, not properly kept up. So it's, uh, it's something that I like to see too. Yeah, just the parks overall being a nice, like you said, space to the community to go and feel safe but also have a good time and hang out yeah I, and you know and uh, i think more than anything you know we're um 
we're a built out city. We've got a lot of concrete around us and, you know, not a lot of green space. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, look, I, I think that we, we will be able to get there because there are communities like Manhattan, uh, Chicago, uh, you know, San Francisco, where there are small areas that are very densely, you know, populated and, you know, a lot of concrete, a lot of harshness. Um, and that's where Santana, I think, you know, we are so large and um, we just don't have enough park space for all our people. Is that, um, I, I think that with schools, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm confident that there's a lot of good space there that we can use jointly, like we do at Godinas. So Godinas is a joint use school. Um, it's right by Centennial. You know, it's, you know, it's an open space area. Mm -hmm. uh, kids can use the campus um, to play. And it's more of a passive thing rather than, you know, um, you know, programming it sometimes with like, you know, league play. Like you said, maybe just, you know, it's just nice to be able to go onto a green patch of grass um, and, and, you know, throw a Frisbee, man, or, you know, yeah. put out a blanket, you know, or listen to some music, just, you know, walk your dog or whatever, you know, you want to do. But those are the things I think that we need more of is just, you know, just, you know, creating these, these, these areas, these spaces that, um, you know, are great. I mean, I know I, I like you said, <clears throat> I've been walking a lot more and doing trails. So I was doing the trail on Maple, you know, the, the, the bike mm -hmm. trail and stuff that I, it, it's just great to see how many people are out there. I mean, it is it's just, you know, I think people, like you said, you, uh, appreciate it more. You value it more. We always knew it was there. Yeah. But now it's just like, oh man, this is, you know, this is, this is super priceless, you know? Mm -hmm. So going back to, again, your role as mayor, what are some of the challenges that maybe you didn't see coming that you have faced already in your term? Yeah, you know, one of the things I didn't, you know, I did and I didn't see coming is, um, you know, how kind of uh, isolated you are, where, you know, we don't have the support of, you know, many of the folks on the county. Uh, we don't have much support at the state or federal level. Although, you know, our, our, our state legislators are good. They're, you know, they're working with us on different things. Our uh, federal representative is, you know, working with us on, uh, on, some, on some issues, having to deal with, you know, Wi-Fi access. But I think it really does um, make it, uh, you know, sort of isolating when you realize, you know, you're a very large city, but very unique from others. And so I think, you know, those are the challenges that I think we see and what, what I also see is that, you know, we, we have communities that are very opinionated, man. So, you know, um, sometimes, you know, you, you want to do the right thing and, you know, it offends another group. And, and that's where I think we all have to realize, look, nobody here is, is trying to, um, you know, do the wrong thing. I think it's we have different ways of attacking the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where I think we all have to respect ourselves. But, you know, back to your point. I think because we've seen that disrespect at the highest level, like we've seen a dude just disrespect people. Uh, and, you know, for somebody who is, you know, sort of a national representative, you know, behave that way. I think others feel like, all right, it's okay. You know, it's, it's okay to disrespect somebody. So, um, you know, so I try not to do that. Um, look, we're all human. It gets away from us, but um, it's, it's attacking a person's policy position and saying, yeah, I don't agree with it. And this is why. Um, but I think that level of, you know, um, lack of civility, I think that we've experienced over the past four years and, you know, before the 2016 election, I think kind of stayed with us a little bit. And that's where it's difficult, where you see the acrimony a little bit more. And I think, you know, some things that weren't okay before are okay now, you know, I mean, to, to, to say things that are just, 
super hostile, right? Um, I get a bunch of hate mail because of what we did with the undocumented. You know, uh, my position has been always been very vocal. Uh, you know, uh, we're a sanctuary city. I'm very proud of that. Um, some people, for some people, it's not okay, and uh, it's it, you know, it's it, it's not that they disagree, but they take a personal uh, you know anger towards it. And so I get some very ugly emails, right? right? And I figure, you know, look, you can disagree with me. I get it. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I understand your position. I disagree with it, but I understand it. Um, but I'm not going to go threaten you. And those are the things that I are leveled against, you know, I, I think, you know, against people uh, who tend to be strong voices in that area. Mm -hmm. Well, as we wrap things up, I do have a different series of questions for you because I already asked you the questions that I typically ask a guest. So I have to switch it up a little bit. If you could be reincarnated to any animal, what would it be? Oh man. So, uh, so man, I'm going to have to go back to my roots, man. I'll, I would be a llama, you know, okay. llamas are cool. If you, if you, if, if you, uh, if you haven't seen many of them, but they, they, you know, they hang out in the mountains, high altitudes. Um, they're very common in Bolivia and uh, the Andes mountains. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're pretty chill animals. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> They're, they're beasts, they call them beasts of burden, like, you know, like camels and horses and everything. Um, I think they're related it, it, sort of to camels, but they carry um, product, you know, and so they, you know, but they're super strong, but they're re very regal, long neck, really cool looking face. But yeah, man, um, you know, be careful though. They, 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 they can get angry. And what they say is that they spit. So I didn't, yeah. I've never seen this, yeah. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, and there's a saying, you know, for us is that, Cuando te escupen, te queda la mancha. So, you know, always, always duck. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> All right. If you could have a, what would your last meal on earth be? Oh, man. My last meal on earth would be something called a salteña. Mm -hmm. uh, salteña is a pot pie. Um, and uh, go check it out. They have some right here in Santana at La Rancherita Market. Mm -hmm. But it's a pot pie. Uh, it's indigenous, again, to the Andes Mountains. Um, but, uh, it's good stuff, man. It's like the empanada, but okay. it's not fried. So it's healthier. It's baked okay. and it's, it's good stuff, man. So go, go check it out. Not a Norteña, a Salteña. <laughs> okay. The, what'd you say the market was again? And where it's La Rancherita market. It's right on Westminster, uh, just West of Fairview. Okay, perfect. That's right by where it works. I'll have to check it out. All right, man. Go stop in. Man. <laughs> okay. you know, they, they only, they only have them on weekends though, by the way. So, okay. okay. Well, today's a Saturday. I got you know, go, nothing man. to do. <laughs> and now if you could go back and visit any time period in history, what would you want to go see? You know, if I, if I, 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 I just got through reading, um, uh, the book, the bi biography on, uh, Hamilton. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to be, to be back in those times, I probably wouldn't be real welcome as a person of color, <laughs> right, right. but, um, uh, just to see, you know, uh, sort of that, those conversations and that, uh, you know, a country being born. Um, I realize a lot of what we're going through right now has to do with, you know, uh, you know, we were, we're a country that's founded by slave owners who wanted to be free. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that, you know, that, that is a tough beginning, man. You know, so, so where, where we are now, a lot of what we face now with, you know, uh, uh, social injustice and, you know, and inequality and inequity um, goes back to those times where, yeah, we just had a troubled beginning by, by folks who said, yeah, we want religious freedom. We want to be free and independent. 
but you're slave owners, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, you know, and, and so there's, there's an inherent tension and conflict between that. And so it would be fascinating to see, hopefully from afar, because mm -hmm. yeah, we, you know, we, we probably wouldn't be too welcome. Right, right. <laughs> now, if you could, hold on, let me reword this. <clears throat> if you could work on any area of yourself in the next year or coming months, what would that be? You know, I think in just, um, you know, being, being a little bit more present for my, um, yeah, as a father, being more present for my, my, my kids who are getting older, like, you know, now my second one is ready to go off to college and my, my third is, you know, in high school and well on her way. So it's just do, making more time. And, you know, man, for, for all of us during this pandemic, what we realized time is precious and we've been able to like, you know, the, the one maybe good silver lining between this is that I've been able to see my kids more uh, during this pandemic because they're home and I, it's been crushing to them not to be out, but it's been precious time that I probably wouldn't have had right. Um, right. with them, they probably would have been out doing things. And so they've had to be home and just, just to connect with them and just to connect with my mother, who's 85, um, who's now been vaccinated now got her second vaccination. Um, and just to see her go, uh, get through this because, um, many of my friends, parents, and, you know, um, you know, uh, people that I've known, all my life, like, you know, these parents have passed away, you know, as a result of this. So I think it's just making better use of my time. That's the one thing I would improve is that, you know, I tend to be, uh, I, I tend not to be fair. And that's something that's not good. Yeah, it's tough too. in a, the society is so go, 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 go. Yeah. We're caught up in so many different things. It's hard to just make some time to whether it's be present with your family or friends, close loved ones, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Well, this was a lot of fun. Again, before you go, be sure to you know promote anything you'd like to promote and go from there. No, look, man, uh, you know, I appreciate it, Noah, and I know it's been a while, and you know, you 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 did this pre-election and now we're doing a post-election. Hopefully we do it post-pandemic as yes, well. So yes. so make sure you check in with me uh after this starts uh getting a lot better. And I, I think maybe we'll set something up for the summer because that's okay. when I think things will be looking better. But um, look, I just want to make sure that people uh, access the, the vaccine, go to the city's website, because we, you know, especially for people who are monolingual Spanish speakers, or uh, people who may not even be connected to uh, the internet, and um, those who can't navigate the app, we have a phone number that the city offers, and you can just call it up. So we have people that are like literally uh, answering phones in English, Spanish, and Vietnamese. So that's all they're doing is just helping you get there, because we realize not everybody knows how to navigate this stuff. I mean, to, uh, you know, to, to us, it's simple, but to other, you know, elderly people and, you know, people who are, you know, uh, who are not familiar with these apps and how to register, it's, it's a challenge, man. We can't do that. We can't let that be an obstacle. So that's, that's, that's the only thing I'd really, really, you know, uh, promote at this point. So I, I just want to say, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you doing this and, you know, us, uh, us reconnect. You're good. You're, you're good to your word. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I appreciate you too for the things you're doing for the city of Santa Ana, a city I love. And yeah, thank you. Good, man. All right. Have a blessed weekend, man. All right. You too. Take care. Boom. That's going to wrap it up for another episode of the My Mike and I podcast. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and review. And if you're listening on any other platform, just be sure to follow, like, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform. And if you don't mind, yeah, share with a friend, a colleague, a coworker, an apprentice, a cousin, a uncle, a step cousin, a step 
father. I don't know. Share with people who you think might listen and enjoy the show. Plus, we got a bunch of great episodes in the library. Whether you like sports, whether you like music, whether you like the local music scene, whether you want to, you know, learn about doctors and how to be, you know, get into the medicine field. We got episodes pertaining to all of those topics and those questions I just asked. So be sure to check out some of the other older episodes in the library of the My Mike and I podcast. And of course, be sure to follow the My Mike and I Instagram page if you're on the IG platform at my period Mike and period I. I like to promote the show, whether it's an audio or visual snippet, and you know, sometimes post some polls, post some other wholesome content, maybe some daily motivational quotes to kind of help you guys get through the week that kind of stuff and yeah just kind of interact with some fans and listeners via that platform you can also follow me on twitter a little bit more of a personal cap at underscore noah alvarez i like to post obviously the podcast on there as well as some of my sports takes my music takes just some society takes too and sometimes you'll just see me tweet a random thing and i don't know i guess i just tweet however i feel so just get used to that if you're gonna follow me on twitter Other than that, I can't think of anything else that I need to plug. Oh, of course, be sure to follow and check out True 100 Radio, spelled T-R-U, the number one, 100radio.com for all your podcasting needs. Shout out to Jamal Cinco Uno on Twitter, Jamal Bostic, the CEO, the founder of True 100, who brought all of us together to have this beautiful radio station podcast network for you guys the listeners to be able to you know search through the different things here in orange county that i got going on and be sure to follow us on instagram as well to search up true 100 radio spelled the same way and we promote different local artists different local businesses we got a whole bunch of stuff going on on the true 100 instagram page with that being said did want to make a brief, 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 brief announcement because at the beginning of the episode, I opened up saying how my schedule changed because of football season. I believe I'm going to take a two, maybe three week hiatus just so I can catch up, realign my schedule, see where this podcast fits best into my schedule and where I can move some things. Got to try some things around because obviously during season, it's just a little bit more hectic, a little bit more workload for me, which I'm totally loving, by the way. So it's not like, oh, it's to drag man i really love this position however did need to kind of rearrange some things so for two or three weeks i will not have the mike and i podcast or a new episode will be available however you guys can catch up on all the older stuff whatever guest floats your boat and um yeah i'll make an announcement on the instagram or the twitter platform on when i'll be back uploading on a weekly basis sounds good all right well without being said Hope you guys continue to battle whatever obstacle that you may be facing through right now at this moment. And I hope you guys continue to chase dreams, not checks, never stop seeking knowledge, and just continue to have a wonderful week, have a wonderful day, have a wonderful year, have a wonderful life. You can make the most of it, guys. All right. This is Noah Alvarez, the host of the My Mike and I podcast, signing off. Till next time.